Father, we're so thankful for the liberty in this house. And we're thankful for the access we have to you by the blood of Jesus, that new and living way. Uh, Holy Spirit, we are thankful for your assistance this morning. What a time in which we live. It's a time of great glory. It's a time of the explosion of your power in the earth. Holy God, we come this morning with humble hearts. We're not here to struggle with you. We're not here to struggle with your word. We receive the word of God with meekness, which is able to save our souls. Holy Ghost, thank you for being here and confirming the word with signs following. In Jesus' name we pray. You know, as I was praying about the service this morning, you know, the Lord sort of led me in a particular direction. And, you know, I just felt led to expand a little bit on some of the things we discussed last Sunday. As you know, we started a study of the book of Jude just a few weeks ago now. And um, let's open our Bibles to the book of Jude. And we're going to start from verse 1. Just read the first few verses there. It says, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, While I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to all the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we looked at Galatians chapter 1 where Paul said to the Galatians that I am shocked and marveled that you are so quickly moved away from the gospel and you have been drawn away to a different gospel which is not another, which is not a gospel of the same kind, but it is a gospel of a different kind. It is a perverted gospel. And last week, we looked at three kinds of Christians that typify three kinds of churches. And the first kind of Christian or the first kind of church is what we call the sleeping church. The sleeping church or the sleeping Christian. And the second is the street church, the street church. And the third, the submitted or the surrendered Christian or the surrendered church. A sleeping Christian, a street Christian, and a surrendered Christian. And we said the sleeper or the sleeping church is a church where everyone is just pacified. It's a church where everyone is given a pacifier or a dummy. Yeah, everyone knows what a dummy is, okay? Now, a pacifier gives no nourishment. When a child or a baby sucks on a pacifier, there is no nourishment. They are taking an action uh, that connotes ingestion, but there's nothing getting in there. There is no content, yeah? You see... There is a move that is happening today where in some places 
there is a move towards motivational speaking or motivational messages. Okay? And it encourages people, it makes people feel good. But one of my friends who has been a motivational speaker for many years, you know, he, he is a Christian and he went through a transition of some sort. And, and he made the statement to me. He's very successful. He's based in the UK. And he said, after years of motivational speaking, I realized that motivational speaking is just like having a hot shower. While you are taking the shower, you feel nice and hot and nice and warm. But when you leave that place, after about 15 minutes, your body temperature goes back to how it was before. In other words, there needs to be content that changes your life. And if all we're trying to do is motivate people, you will essentially just pacify them. The body of Christ is not here to pacify. It is about a transformed life. In fact, if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and chapter 3, it describes four kinds of people. And you can match these four kinds of people to these three types of churches that we're talking about here. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 14, the Bible says, The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. There is a natural man. Now, a natural man is one whose life is determined by their five physical senses. Are you with me? They believe what they see. They believe what they feel. They believe what they hear. Their scope of comprehension is based on physical things alone. That's the natural man. And that natural man cannot receive or understand spiritual things. In verse 6 of that 1 Corinthians 2, it says there is a wisdom of the natural man or this natural age. There is a wisdom of this age. It is not the wisdom of God. And it is this kind of things that the sleeping Christian makes their diet. Are you with me? Whatever CNN is saying is what determines how they feel. That is a natural person. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 6, it says, However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. You see, the wisdom of this age and the wisdom of the rulers of this age are all coming to nothing. Now, this is the diet of the natural Christian and the natural man. It says, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So the natural man doesn't comprehend spiritual things. Their life is only based on what they see. 
There is a wisdom of the natural man, which is a wisdom of this natural age, and that wisdom is coming to nothing. Doesn't matter how excited it looks. And that's why right now in Davos, they are confused. They get together and they just talk about the same problems and they, you see very quickly that they don't know what's going on and they are looking for answers because the wisdom of this natural age is coming to nothing. You know, the rulers of this age thought they would outsmart the Lord by crucifying the Lord of glory. But in trying to outsmart God, they played into the purpose of God because had they known, they wouldn't have crucified Jesus because by crucifying him, they gave him the opportunity to multiply the wisdom of this age. It's coming to nothing. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, the New Living Translation, I like how it puts it. It says, so where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, the world's brilliant debaters. God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world will never, everyone say never. The world will never know him through human wisdom. He has used the uh, foolish preaching to save those who believe. Verse 26. It says, remember, dear brothers and sisters... That few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose those things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. There is a higher wisdom. There is a higher way of living. The wisdom of the world is coming to nothing. In fact, in Romans 1 verse 22, it says, Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And that's why the world in its wisdom right now is debating whether we should be teaching three-year-old children about gender identity and helping them decide whatever gender they feel like being based on how they feel at the time. All right? That is what the world in its wisdom is doing. Uh, are you with me? If you needed an ex uh, uh, evidence to the fact that it is coming to nothing, you don't even need to go beyond that. You see, the wisdom of this age will always lead you crosswise to the purpose of God. Always. You see, what am I trying to do? I'm trying to show you that if we are going to be the submitted church, we are going to need to operate by a different kind of wisdom. It cannot be the wisdom of this age because the word has said, you will never know God and walk in his revelation with the wisdom of this age. It's impossible. It is the wisdom of the natural man, which can't discern spiritual things. The wisdom of this age will always lead you on a path that is crosswise to the purpose of God. You know, reading the testimony of the Apostle Paul, who was called Saul, the wisdom of this age led him to persecute the church of God, thinking he was serving God. He actually honestly thought that he was doing the will of God, and in his wisdom, he thought, okay, this is the way to do it, and he was 
kicking against the pricks. In Galatians 1, he gives his testimony. In verse 13, he says, You have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure, and I tried to destroy it. As I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. Wow. Now, we don't have time to look at Paul's pedigree and his credentials. This was an educated fellow. And the Bible says, or in his own testimony, he said as he advanced in the wisdom of his fathers, he was persecuting the church and trying to destroy it. The wisdom of this age was taking him on a path that was contrary to the purpose of God. The wisdom of this age will tell you that, you know, don't take Christianity too seriously. Ah, at least we're all Christians. The wisdom of this age will educate you that way. It will give you a set of priorities that in its vocabulary and in its language, it looks like wisdom, but it is taking you on a path contrary to the will of God. I remember having a conversation with a young man. I say everyone is a young man, even though they might be my age. I should stop saying that. Because we're all young after all. I remember speaking to somebody and, you know, he felt a call of God on his life. And he said, you know, I feel the call of God, but I have to be responsible. My family has got to be the priority. Now, it looks like wisdom, but it's foolishness. The Lord is calling you to go in a direction. And you are saying to the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth, the one who from his clear sky brought out manna and commanded ravens to feed his people for 40 years. When there was a famine in the land, he commanded his ravens day and night to feed his prophet. A raven will not share his food with you. But he was under instructions every day to go to the brook Kareth and feed the prophet. Will the Lord who called you not take care of you? Is your family and your children not precious to God himself? It sounds wise, but it is foolishness. Obedience to God must be your highest priority. The wisdom of this age led Paul on a path that was actually contrary to God's purpose. And then when God revealed himself to him, you know what the first thing he did? He did not confer with flesh and blood. Do you know why? He had learned his lesson. That these guys, when it comes to the things of the spirit, they don't know what they're talking about. Don't, I don't care what suit he wears. I don't care what education he received. When it comes to the things of the spirit, he has no idea what he's talking about. The natural man only responds based on what he sees. You know, time will not permit me to go through the story of Lazarus and the rich man in Luke 16. That is an incredible story. It wasn't a parable. It was actually a real story, right? Because that is the only parable in quote that Jesus tells you the name of the person. He said, let me tell you what happened. There was this rich man who had all the money needed. And there was a beggar called Lazarus, yeah? And he told you the name of the, of the beggar. It actually happened. The Lord was given insight based on an incident that had occurred. And then they both died. And in hell, the rich man got perspective. You, you, you see, there is something about wisdom. When you receive the right information, 
it will change your perspective. Unfortunately, his perspective changed in hell. And it was too late then. He, he became very wise in hell. He said, okay, I, I, would, I would, in fact, he became an evangelist. He said, let me go back and preach to my brothers. They must not come here. And Father Abraham gave him wisdom. He said, no, no, no. The wisdom they need has already been given to them in the scriptures. If they don't obey the scriptures, the scriptures actually has the wisdom. So this wisdom that we're talking about is actually available to us. But the natural man ignores the wisdom of God and orders their life based only on what they can see. You know, your life on earth is a drop in the bucket when it is compared to how long we're going to live for. We're going to live for eternity. Our time here is a drop in the bucket. Now, when you look at your life from the perspective of eternity, your priorities during this time will be different when you recognize that the way you live in eternity is determined by how you order your affairs here. That is called wisdom, the full picture. Acting based on the truth of the full picture. The natural man does not discern the things of the spirit. They limit everything to what they can see. Their wisdom is only based on what they can see. And that wisdom is coming to an end. That is the sleeping church. The counsel of God to the sleeping church can be found in Ephesians 5.14. He says, wake up, you who are asleep. Arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. Wake up. Wake up. There is more to life than what you can see. Wake up. Start reading the Bible like you are reading a credible newspaper. Begin to take everything that you see in the Bible as truth and order your life by that. Wake up. You haven't got all the time in the world. The way you live your life every day is impacting eternity and impacting the reward you will receive from the king. Wake up. The counsel of God to the sleeping Christian is wake up. Remember the foolish man who uh, became very wealthy and he thought, you know, I've got all the time in the world. What am I going to do with all this wealth? Okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to build up barns, fill my barns, and then expand. You know, he, he assumed that he had all the time in the world. Jesus called him foolish. He thought he controlled his time. He controlled his future, controlled his destiny. The time to make the greatest impact is right now. The next one is the street church, the street church, or the street Christian. This is an environment where they will create an environment where they make people so comfortable that the Spirit of God himself is no longer comfortable. It's about my comfort. My comfort. Yeah, I know I'm going over old ground, but I'm expanding on it a little bit. You know, when the Lord wants me to repeat something, it's because someone is here again. The street church, where we want to be comfortable. We think that life is about comfort. We want to be comfortable. And you know, I was saying that in 1 Corinthians 2 and 3, it talks about four kinds of people. The natural man, the wisdom of this age, which is comforted by the sleeping church, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, it says, I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I feed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive solid. So I tried you with something solid and you spat it out. You're not ready for it. Okay? I gave it to you, but you threw it up. You said, no, I don't want, I don't want. I still want milk. You know, recently there was this um, expose about cow milk and how... You know, the world has 
told us that, you know, if you want strong bones, you should drink cow milk. And they exposed it for the, the lie that it is. And I was just reading this and thinking, you know, we were all raised on the knowledge that if we want to have strong bones, just be drinking cow milk. <laughs> it says, I tried you with solid food, but you could not receive it. Even now, you are still not able. So I'm, I keep trying to move you on, but you're saying, no, 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 no. It's the milk I want. For you are still carnal. You know that the word carnal, in fact, the Latin root of the word carnal is carne. Carne means meat. Like chili con carne, if you used to drink, uh, is meat, yeah? So it means that you are controlled by your flesh. That's carnal. You are controlled by your flesh. You are a Christian, but you are controlled by your flesh. It says, for where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? A carnal Christian is somebody who is in Christ. You see, the natural man is not even in Christ. They might gather in a church, oh, but they are not in Christ. Just motivate me. Just give me trends. You know, the church has got to follow the trend of the world. Are you with me? This our church must follow the trend of the world. What is trending right now? The fashion of the world comes here. The, uh, the philosophies of the world will just add some scriptures to it and use our scriptures to validate the philosophy of the world. That is what we are doing as a sleeping church. That's not us. I'm just saying the sleepers. Okay? Now, the street church is like, you know, I, I, I don't want, I want to, I want to filter what I'm hearing. You understand? Please, please, don't give me anything that would, uh, would disturb me. Okay? I remember a time I did a series on finances and, uh, you know, and, and, you know, and there was a couple in the church and they really, they really liked it. And because I use some sort of business principles, you know. You know, we do, went to school also. So I use some, you know. So I finished that series and they were really excited and stuff. And then afterwards, I moved on. Just talking about the book of Ephesians, who you are in Christ. And they came to me and said, I, this new one, we're not understanding this one. I'm like, I'm like what? I said, well, that one, the other one. We're like, I said, really? Okay. Well, it says, uh, I tried it with solid food. He said, when there's still envy and strife and division, are you not carnal? I'm behaving like mere men. We're not mere men. We're spiritual people that have the priorities of the king. So the street church is about comfort. You see, there are two things that I wanted to focus on in the street church. Is that the street church takes away the offense of the cross. The offense of the cross. There is an offense of the cross. You see, we talked about the fact that the heart of the, of the gospel is the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, in Galatians 5 verse 11, look at Galatians 5 11 real quick. It says, and I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. So he's saying that if I'm preaching circumcision, nobody will fight me anymore. Why do you think they are fighting me? There is an offense of the cross. When we preach the gospel, when we preach the message of the gospel... There is an offense in there. Now let me tell you the offense of the cross. The offense of the cross is that you cannot save yourself. 
Doesn't matter how much charitable work you do. Doesn't matter how nice you try to be. Doesn't matter how faithful you are as a husband or as a wife. You cannot save yourself. The Bible says that our righteousness is like filthy rags in the sight of Almighty God. That's Isaiah 64 verse 6. The cross of Jesus Christ is your only hope for salvation from the wrath of God. Hallelujah. It is a message that says you need to repent. You need to embrace the forgiveness of the cross. The forgiveness of the cross. Look at 2 Corinthians 2 verse 14. There's an offense of the cross. We must embrace the message of grace. That it is only by the cross that I can be saved. It is only by union with God that I can exceed in life or excel in life. Look at 2 Corinthians 4 verse 15. It says, now thanks be to God who leads us, who always leads us in triumph in Christ. And through us, he diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who have been saved and among those who are perishing. So, we diffuse the fragrance of God everywhere we go. Now let's continue. Verse 16. It says to the one we are the aroma of death leading to death. And to the other the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as so many peddling the word of God. But as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. I like that verse 15 in the message Bible translation. In the message it says, no, but at least we don't take God's word, water it down, and then take it to the streets to sell it cheap. We stand in Christ's presence when we speak. God looks us in the face. We get what we say straight from God and we say it as honestly as we can. Hallelujah, I love that. When we stand to speak the word, we recognize that we are standing in the presence of Christ. And you don't have to be on a platform like this. Every platform, every time you are speaking for Christ, wherever you are, every time you have the opportunity to speak for Christ, you are standing before him. You are speaking on his behalf and you are standing before him. Hallelujah. He says we're not peddling the word. When we speak the word honestly, for some it is a message of life, but for others it is a confirmation of death. Because you say to them that there is only one way, and it's Jesus Christ. He went to the cross to die for you. He says that if you believe on me, you will not perish. If you don't believe on him, you are going to perish. In fact, the whole world is already on a path to destruction. Jesus came to save us from it. There is a wrath of God to come. But thank God for the salvation that is in Christ. Your good works can't help you. It is only the cross. So you see the street church takes away the offense of the cross. They try to take away the offense of the cross. The other thing the street church tries to do is they try to take truth away from love. It's almost as though the more I love you, the less I should tell you the truth. The street church tries to take truth away from love. Look at what Jesus said or what the Bible says about maturity. In Ephesians chapter 4 verse 14, 
when it talks about our maturity, it says that we should no longer be children. You know, people that are just drinking milk. The word child is nepios, unskilled. It says we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plussing. But speaking the truth in love may grow up. You see how growth happens? When you receive the truth in love. When you receive the truth in love. So you are serving love and it can't be love until there's truth in it. But you see the scripture tries to take out the truth from love. That is the only way of growth. Speaking the truth in love. We have twisted the meaning of love to suggest, as I said, that the more love we have, the less truth we speak. Because after all, we don't want to offend. You know, the love of God, the reason why it's love is the love of God confronts evil. God loves us too much to leave us the way we are. And that's why speaking about the operation of the Father, in Hebrews 12, 6, it says, For whom the Lord loves. He chastens. It is the devil that has twisted the meaning of love. Because chastening and love work hand in hand. Chastening is a manifestation of love. Chastening is a manifestation of love. And it says he scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father doesn't chasten? You know, he always chastens us first and foremost with his word. He always does that. He speaks the truth to us. You come to a, a, a church like this and you hear. If you ignore what we are saying, you go somewhere else and you hear the same thing. In fact, you hear it in your dream. Some of you that they are chasing in the dream, just stand and wait and say, okay, why are you chasing me? The person that is chasing you will give you the message. You see, the, the Lord's love for us is so fierce. The Lord will fight over you. He will not let you go. He will not let you go. If he sees that you're going on a path to destruction, he will take you from there and put you at the back of the, of, of the line. He will do that because he loves you. He loves you. I remember I took my son once to, uh, you know, to um, Carton Place, Get Arena. My boy, my only son, I only have one. So I said, Zane, you want to go? Yeah, let's go. So I said, Zane, these carts are much more powerful than they look, okay? Say, yeah, dad, I know, I know. Let me have the helmet, helmet. I said, Zane, you want to take it easy. I want him to have a good time. So we get into this cart. And, you know, I'm, I'm tracking him. And I'm like, initially, I'm like, okay, just follow me. Just follow. You cannot go past me. Just follow me for the first few laps. He thinks I'm trying to cramp his style. I said, no, Zane, you follow me. Follow your dad. Yes, dad. Yes, dad. Before I knew what was happening, <laughs> as we went past the first corner, my boy was gone. So I began to chase this boy down. He did not realize I was chasing him because I wanted to make sure that he was okay. Meanwhile, there's a blind spot. There's, I mean, on the arena, there's a particular point that's like a 90-degree turn, seems like at least. My boy goes, bam, he goes all the way. And then he sees, I don't know, maybe he just got this last-minute revelation. He tries to turn the cart, bam, he slams into the wall. Everything stops. People are running onto the, onto the track, you know, checking out this boy. I, you know, I run over there. I see he's okay. All right, let's go again. But I had, to, I had to, like, check him. In fact, I told the guy that he can be in his cart with him. 
Are you with me? Now, you see, the chastening of the Lord is not to cramp our style. It's to help us. Because he loves us. I mean, my, I mean, I, my son, my only boy, what will they say? That we went to play in uh, Get Arena. <laughs> I understand him. It says, whom the Lord loves. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. The scripture tries to take truth out of love. Now, if the Lord will chasten you, why will not his servants chasten his people? If indeed the spirit of God is in them. The Bible says that faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. So if you only want to be in a place where they, they don't chasten you, or they don't instruct you, or they don't correct you, or they don't in love tell you the truth, then the Bible says you're a bastard. If you belong to the body of Christ, the Lord will always chasten you. And at every point in your spiritual maturity, he will confront you with something that requires repentance. At every point in your, in, your in your Christian maturity, there are certain things that we do that displease the Lord that the Lord will not tell you about until you grow up. It's not everything about your life that pleases him. We are in Christ. We've received him as our Lord and Savior. We belong to him. Hallelujah. But when we are ready, as we grow up in him, there are certain things that we are, we are okay with right now that he begins to confront us about. There's deeper dedication, a deeper commitment, uh, a higher priority. He, he begins to show you that your life is not just about success. It's about significance. And that significance is in the kingdom of God. Your money is not just about yourself. It's about the kingdom. He begins to refocus your heart on the kingdom. Some things that used to work for you before. Stop working because he's changing your gears. He's trying to get your attention. I remember years ago I was consulting. I was in, in IT at the time years ago. I was a lay minister you know, in the church I, I, I served in. And it was a cushy job for me because I had a Porsche. I had two contracts I was running. And yet I could preach, you know, whenever my pastor was not around. Which as you know, pastors don't fly away very often. So at least I could see I was doing the work of God. So my pastor was always around. And whenever he wasn't around, I'd say, count and preach. And you know, I'll get up there and preach and preach the word. And it was really nice. I felt the anointing of God. People were benefiting from my preaching. And in my heart, I felt at least I am doing the, uh, the work. Meanwhile, I'll be cruising London with my Porsche. Anita enjoyed it at the time, you know. <laughs> she enjoyed being married to me then. She still enjoys it, but... Uh... <laughs> and then all of a sudden, I just began to get this shift in my heart. There's a shift that something's about to change. Something's about to change. I just, it, and I knew it, that something is about to shift. I don't know what it is. Something's about to shift. And I began to pray and I knew something was changing. Within six months, I lost the two contracts. The, the pastor that loved me so much. This pastor loved me so much. All of a sudden, you know, his heart changed towards me. And then the Lord was like, I want you to go to America. I'm like, within six months, everything shifted. It was not the devil that needed to be cast out. There was nothing. In fact, he had prepared me for one that there's a change coming. There's a change coming. He was shifting me into purpose. It looked like I was being demoted, but he was shifting me into purpose that will impact eternity. I will say by the Holy Ghost, God is shifting you into purpose. He's shifting you into purpose. Shifting you into purpose. All of a sudden, where the earth knew your name and heaven didn't know who you were, all of a sudden, the earth will not know your name anymore, but heaven will rejoice over you. That is the shift that is taking place. 
You are being moved into position. Moved into position. Huh? The street church. You know, one of the great things about being a pastor is that I don't have to finish everything today. We can continue. Yeah? But the, it's, 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 the Lord is, you know, the Lord loves us. The Lord loves us. And that's why you'll come into a place and you'll hear something that is an answer to a question in your heart. And that is testimony that the Lord loves you. That he loves you. You're not a number in the crowd. He knows you. He loves you. Your life is not outside the scope of his attention. No, he focuses on your life. He knows what's going on. He knows what you need to hear. And when the Lord comes with a challenge, it's because he loves you. And let us stand. Praise the Lord.